Good morning, glad that you're here. My name is John Nugent, it is not Reggie Bridges. Um, Our pastor um, is on his way to Phoenix, Arizona for um, the Southern Baptist Convention. His daughter told me this morning they were trying to drive somewhere around 12 hours today as a family. And our pastor in the first service, which you weren't there for, but he used this word that was that it's somewhat offensive. It's the word stupid. And I thought, driving 12 hours, that's a long way. But because he's driving 12 hours, he said, hey, uh, I need someone to fill in the 11 o'clock service. And probably also maybe an unwise decision. He chose me. Um, so what this means for you today is that you've got to come back. And I know there's lots of kind of new faces. I know some of you are visitors. And so what that means is it just guarantees that you need to come back again. That way you can hear the real preacher. This morning, what I want you to do with me, though, is to turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at a story there where two kind of things happen at once. And what's happening is God is taking something that seems insignificant, and then God is taking something that seems grand and big. He's taking both of those, working through them because of faith and because of Jesus. He's taking these two things and he's making something even more epic than could ever have been imagined. While I think of things that are insignificant and I think of things that are grand, have you ever noticed that when people talk, maybe even speeches sometimes, that you'll, you'll sit and you'll hear someone talk and, and, and speak about whatever the subject may be, but you're there and they just kind of go on and, and on and, and on and, and on. And you think to yourself that, you know what? I could have really used a nap <clears throat> instead of hearing this or instead of listening. This, this was a wonderful time in my life that I could have used more beneficially rather than listening to this. Because even though this was great and it was big, maybe it was something in my mind. I think, you know, that the, this even production that goes along with it sometimes. And I think, you know, I don't know that I got anything out of that. You've been there before? Maybe once or twice? So I love our pastor, and this has nothing to do with him. I'm not talking about him at all, the first about talking and speaking on and on, not getting anything out of it, don't tell him that. But sometimes people can say things that are seemingly insignificant, but yet they'll mean something bigger. And sometimes our pastor, he'll take something um, and, and in saying things, I don't know if you notice this or not, but I listen to him, every word that he says, like I know that you do. And he has this phrase, this two-word phrase that he will use, and it's kind of a filler. It doesn't really mean much at all. It's these words, or so. It's a Mississippi thing, I think, because I'm not really used to it, because that's why I picked up on it. But he'll be preaching, and he'll be telling you a story, and he'll be saying something, and and at the end of a phrase, he will throw in the words, or so. It'll be something like, um, this city was 10 miles away or so. You with me? You recognize this about him? He does it a lot. In fact, I told him I was going to use this as an illustration, and then recently, the last couple of weeks, I haven't heard him use it, which is kind of funny. Um, but he does this a lot. He'll say, like, hey, this, this was 10 miles away or so, or, or, and he'll just throw that in. And I think, you know, if you were going to say this is about 10 miles away or so, you could really just say this is about 10 miles away, and it would mean the exact same thing. You could leave the or so out, and the same meaning would be there, right? The or so is insignificant, unless the or so is used in a different way, maybe in the right place in the sentence, or maybe with a different set of circumstances. 
For example, if he were to maybe forget his anniversary, and upon forgetting his anniversary, he got flowers for Leslie, and, and he had those flowers delivered there, and on the tag it would say, like, I'm so sorry I forgot our anniversary, I love you, or so. It would mean something completely different, right? Or if you were, he were visiting you in the hospital, um, and you had been waiting on some news from a doctor, and, 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 and Dr. Reggie came in, um, and he said, hey, I just ran out to the doctor in the hall, and he said, hey, congratulations, you're going to live, or so. It means something completely different, right? Because of the circumstances or the place in the sentence or what's going on. There are things that God does, and what I want to talk to you about today is how God will take things that maybe seem insignificant or maybe things that are big and grand and just maybe don't have that much of a meaning, but with faith and with God, he'll do something extraordinary. Matthew chapter 9. Let's start there. Ready? Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 18, says something like this. While he was saying these things to them. He, by the way, is Jesus. So Jesus, while he's saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him. Now, what we have here, this ruler, if you read this in Mark um, and in Luke and the other Gospels that tell the same story, this is not just any ruler, but this would be a ruler of the synagogue. So this is a religious ruler that is coming to Jesus and kneeling before him. This is extremely significant, especially later on when the rulers of the synagogue and the Pharisees and those kinds of people are the ones that are wanting Jesus' very own life. But at this point, this ruler of the synagogue is coming. He's a ruler, yet we find him, it says that he is kneeling and knelt before Jesus saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. It says, And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Now what's happening so far in our story, the context of all of this, Jesus is kind of going out. He's doing different things. He's working different miracles. This is kind of between lots of miracles that's happening. As he's going, Jesus is doing miraculous things so that people will know there's something significant about him so that when he begins to make these claims that he is the Christ, that people will have evidence of that. So he's going from place to place and doing these things, and all of a sudden this ruler of the synagogue comes in and interrupts what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is about, kneels before him in front of all of these people. If you were to imagine with me almost this kind of idea where Jesus is traveling back and forth, in my mind and in my imagination, it's almost something like the story of Zacchaeus where there's people everywhere. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, has to climb up in a tree to, in order to see Jesus. I imagine there's lots of people around. And they're following and they're just wanting to see what in the world Jesus is going to do next. And this great crowd of people, this synagogue ruler that they would know, that they would recognize, comes in and he kneels in front of Jesus. And he says, my daughter has died. Not that my daughter is sick, not that my daughter is not well, not that my daughter might die. It is my daughter is dead. But I want you to come and lay hands on her so that she'll live. This is something that is very big that is happening. It's a synagogue ruler that is doing this. He is asking that Jesus would bring someone back to life. That's a big deal, right? There's lots of things that Jesus does and lots of miracles that Jesus does. But for me, bringing someone back to life, that's pretty big even in the scheme of miracles. And then it says that he wants you to come and lay hands on her. This culture, that was almost a ceremonial type thing that would happen. It was not just this passing moment. It would be something very significant that would be happening. And then it says that Jesus 
rose and he followed him with his disciples. So now we have this ruler of the synagogue and Jesus and a parade of people that are going to be a part of what's about to happen. This is a seemingly large, big, grand thing that is happening, right? And in the middle of all that, there's another story going on. Here's what it says. Ready? Verse 20. Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him, talking about Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Now, in my mind, the idea of a, of, a, of a lady coming and just touching the fringe of Jesus' garment, that is rather insignificant. There's a large crowd of people. Again, in my mind, I have to imagine these things because it's the way that I work. And so there's the disciples, there's this man, there's this large crowd of people, and then there's this woman who's thinking to herself, if I don't need to have his attention, I don't need to talk to him. I don't need to get in front of him and stop what he is doing. I don't need to have people follow me. I don't need to have any of that. I just want to go and, and just touch the hem, the, 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 the fringe of his garment. I don't even need a handful of it. I just want to touch the fringe. That's all that I need, and I know that I will be made well. I have faith enough to know that. It's insignificant, this... this it's a, it's a lady doing this, which in Near Eastern society, at this point in time, women are not the most revered in, in status anyway. And then for her, in, in what happens in their culture, even the idea of for her to worship, she would be considered ceremonially unclean because of what is wrong with her. So she is, would not be allowed for the last 12 years to even go to certain places within the synagogue, temple, those kinds of things. She would not be worshiping with people. She would be someone that people would probably even recognize and know that this lady would be an unclean person. That they were probably thinking to themselves, I'll probably avoid her if I know that she is around. So in my mind, she knows this about herself. And so in my head, she's even maybe even trying to hide her own identity, trying to be as insignificant as possible to blend in and just get there so she can touch Jesus's garment and be done. But Jesus, because of faith, her faith, and because of Jesus, will take the insignificant thing and do something grand. He stops and he says, verse 22, Jesus turned, seeing her, said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. That Jesus says there is no insignificant thing when faith and Jesus are both involved. So Jesus is going to work through this big grand parade that is happening. And then he's also going to work through this very insignificant thing. Both of them are going to matter even more because of faith and because of Jesus. He goes on, this happens, and then just, he keeps going along with life. Verse 23, when Jesus came to the ruler's house, because that's where he was headed, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. He said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all that district. 
We have here, even if you go back and, and read this in Mark chapter 5, you get the, the, the same story in the book of Mark. And Mark even describes the idea of there are people that are mourning and weeping. And, and in this culture, there would even be something that sometimes they would hire professional people to mourn and to weep, to make this outward expression of what is happening on the inside of some of these family members. This would be when it says that there is a commotion. This is a very big thing that is happening. There's music. There's, there's, there, this is... I don't know. I'm glad, like, I don't know. I don't want things to be handled that way. Um, and so he's, he's there and he comes upon this big scene and Jesus basically gets there and he's like, look, all of this big, huge stuff, it seems like it's great and it's big and it's wonderful, but what you don't need is some big, huge production. What you need is faith and you need me. You need faith and you need Jesus. Even in my mind, this synagogue ruler Whatever he knows about Jesus is enough to know that he thinks, I know that all this is taking place at my house because this is culture and this is tradition. But I'm leaving all of that behind and I'm going to go find this man named Jesus. And I'm going to put my faith and my hope in him, not all of this stuff. And because of faith, because of Jesus, says that Jesus puts all that, that grand stuff aside. And it says that he walks in and he takes her by the hand. A seemingly insignificant thing to just take her by the hand. Matthew doesn't even mention words that are spoken or anything. It's just the act of her taking him by the hand and it says that she arose. Because of faith and because of Jesus, absolutely gigantic and epic things happen. Jesus works through very big production type stuff or even very insignificant things because of faith and because of Jesus. Now here's the deal, ready? Um, most of the time you and I realize that God has this kind of as a, as a theme throughout his word, that God will take seemingly insignificant things and do great things. He'll even do it through people. And that's kind of my challenge for you today is to see what God would want to do through you. God takes people like Mary, who is the mother of Jesus. She would be an insignificant character in the world. Probably a teenager that God takes and says, I'm going to do something absolutely epically large and significant through you. Whether he does that through the disciples, for most of them, insignificant characters in the grand scheme of the world. But when faith and when Jesus are involved, absolutely gigantic things happen. But it's not just the insignificant. God also works through very big things as well. He does it through big people. He does it through people like Paul, who was Saul, who was a Pharisee. Big person. Notable person. He does it through Moses, who was the adopted grandson of Pharaoh at the time. They're, they're notable people. God, all throughout the Old Testament, God works through kings that are rulers of people. And God says, look, I'll do big things through you. Even in this story, you see a ruler and then you see a lady. God working through all of those things. So the challenge for you today would be, what is God calling you to do? You could take this and, and almost bend it. And in my, my head, as I was working through some of this stuff and preparing for today, I thought, you know, I don't want people to get the wrong idea of thinking to themselves that, you know, well, maybe the challenge is to go and do something that is insignificant and trust that God's going to do something gigantic out of it. Because that's not really it at all. It's not having just part of the ingredients, because I told you it takes faith and Jesus. It's not just doing something 
and having and, and thinking, well, Jesus, he'll be a part of this, and therefore it'll be great. And there's no faith required on your part. Or maybe it's the idea of you saying, well, I can do big things by myself and, and I can, and can trust in myself in very big ways and I can produce very big things. And that might be great that you have lots of faith in yourself to do something very big and very significant. But if Jesus is not involved, then it will only have very temporary results. It will have nothing of eternal significance. Both of those things must be involved. The same is true for you and I in our relationship with Jesus Christ himself. For most of my life, I grew up, my father is a pastor. I've grown up in church all the time. All the time. I lived 50 feet from the church for most of my life. I had my own key to the church when I was about 13 years old because they had a gym. And my dad got tired of me asking me for the key. All right, so I'm at church all of the time. But for most of my life, I knew about God and about Jesus. Bible trivia, put me on your team. All right? I'm there. I had lots of facts about God and about the Bible and about things that were happening there. But just because I knew about Jesus did not mean I have a relationship with him. I had just knowledge about Jesus. My faith and my belief were not in Jesus. Therefore, I had no relationship with Jesus. The two of those things must come together. It's faith and Jesus. It wasn't until I was 16 years old that I realized I need something more than just knowledge. I need relationship. It comes through believing. The same is true for you. You need both faith and Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, those two same things are needed in everything that you do as a Christian. I had a man named John Schaffner once asked me a question sitting on some steps um, of a church where he was speaking at a disciple now and I was a college student and I was there leading a group and I, I will remember it probably until I'm dead. He sat and asked me, he said, hey, what are you doing? Part of it was I was a youth minister at the church where he used to be the youth minister and so that made it even more significant. But he was asking me, what are you doing? And I was like, what? I mean, just it's youth ministry. I mean, you've been there, you've, you've done it. Like, you know what we're doing here in youth ministry. He's like, no, 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 no. Specifically, what are you doing that requires God to show up? What are you doing that if God didn't show up, you'd fall flat on your face? Stink, John, I don't know. I'm just teaching the Bible and hanging out with teenagers. He's like, so, so what about that? Like, what, what are you doing? Well, I, I can probably do both of those things without Jesus showing up, and it would look okay. And the question continues, I mean, lots and lots of years later, to still haunt me. So the question for you today. Take that question for you. What are you doing that if God does not show up, you fall on your face in failure? Because we need to be doing things. God asks and calls us to do things that not just require Jesus, but they require faith and Jesus. And he will work through small things and big things. There was a lady named Miss Merlene Willis, who once upon a time in my life, going through a very difficult thing just with with. I don't know where I was where working and just the, the, the circumstances of life. She knew kind of what was going on, and she caught me one day in Walmart. 
And she said, hey, John, um, how's it going? I was like, well, I mean, it's, it's going okay. She's like, no, 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 really. Like, how's it going? By the way, Miss Merlene was somewhere in, in her 70s. Um, she'd gone with me on a youth trip as a chaperone, one of the best I've ever taken. It was great. Um, but she knew me, and she said, hey, look, like, I'm not just having casual conversation with you. How are you doing in all of this? I said, well, I could use some prayer. She said, okay. Stuck her arm around me on the deodorant aisle of Walmart, and we just had ourselves a little prayer service right there. Out loud for me, regardless of who was walking by or anything of that nature, she just said, all right, here, by the Old Spice, um, God, this, this, this boy needs some help. And what would seem insignificant of just someone praying for you, God took, and, and I tell you that story lots and lots of years later, because it became something that was very, very, very meaningful. Even still, there, there are little things that happen. I had a student, one of our students, um, send me a text message about a, about a month ago. And she said, hey, John, um, I want to know the points. It was a Wednesday night. She said, I want to know the, the points of what you talked about tonight, because there's a friend of mine that I'm texting and I'm telling them about what we, we did in church tonight. They haven't been coming to church, and so I'm telling them about what we, what we did in church tonight, which is great for me because she wasn't telling them about some weird game that we played or something like that. She was telling them this is what we talked about. And because I'm horrible at texting, I didn't get the text message until later. And so by the time I responded to her, I said, well, we talked about this, this, and this. And she said, okay, well, I sent them this. And she took a little screenshot and sent that to me. This is what I sent them. I was like, huh, that's actually pretty close. Like that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty good. All right. And she just began to tell me that she's just trying to get this friend of hers to, to come back to church. It's, it's small. It's, it's, it's a text message. But because of the context, because of what was going on, because of where and when, it meant something big to me. It was very, very encouraging to me. God will take even a text message and encourage people with that. Maybe it's, it's insignificant things. Maybe it's bigger things. Our pastor, I've joked about him in his Mississippi ways, but I, I will remember for a very long time him showing up in Pine Prairie, Louisiana to my grandfather's visitation, driving, I don't know, three hours or more um, to get there, bringing his family in tow, which I still don't know why he did that, but it made them suffer with him, to drive six hours total just to be there for about 10 minutes. Which was a big thing on his part, and, and maybe big and small, it's just showing up at a, at a funeral visitation. No big deal. Maybe it is a big deal. For me, it was something that God used in a very big way that I'll be thankful for for a long time. There are things that God, that I've seen God do through mission trips and through camps and, and things around youth ministry that were big and that, that involved a lot of production but God still used them because of faith and because of Jesus to do big, gigantic, epic, eternally significant things. So my challenge for you today, very simply, is what are you doing that requires faith and Jesus? And I can guarantee you that our God, that if you know him, if you have a relationship with him, that he is calling you to do something that requires faith and him. So what are you doing that requires both?
And it might be something small. And it might be something big. But there is something that God wants to do. He takes this woman and her insignificant action to do something big. And he takes this ruler of a synagogue and his grand production of an action and does something even bigger. So for you, what's God calling you to do? Maybe it's send a text message. Maybe it's give a hug. Maybe it's volunteering to work this week at Vacation Bible School. Maybe it's having a conversation with someone, and not just any conversation, but a conversation that you know you need to steer to the gospel. I don't know what that is for you. If it's with friends, if it's with your family, if it's with strangers. But I want you to ask that question today. What is God wanting you to do that requires both faith and Jesus? And when we do those things, I believe we have a God who does eternally significant above and beyond what you and I would ask or think. Let's pray together. Father God, I would love you. Love what you do for us. Love that you have sent your son to die for us. God, in the most dramatic and the most epic and the, and the biggest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, God, that you have worked through that of Jesus dying for us and then even bigger on top of his death was his resurrection. And God, because of Jesus and our faith in that, asking you to be our Savior, then God, we have eternity secure with you. Father, I pray that there's someone here who, who does not have both, who does not, who does not know you and know about you, and also, God, that they have their faith, their belief in you. Father, if there's someone who does not know you today, does not have real relationship with you today, then God, I pray that today would be that day that they would. That you would bother them with the need of not just a knowledge about you or facts about you, but with, with a, a, a need of real relationship with you. Father, for the others of us who know you, have a relationship with you, God, I pray that you would, Father, clearly speak to us about what you would want us to do. Father, you call us to follow you. And in following you, God, just like these, these scripture, God, you are about big things. Father, may we be about big things with you, but those things can only have real significance if our faith is involved, if our faith is required, and you are there as well. Father, use the small things that we do. Use the big things that we do. Use everything that we do for your glory. By the end of this story, talks about how the, the word of Jesus went out. God, I pray that because of what you do in and through us as a church, that the word about Jesus Christ would go out, that your glory would be known. So Father, may we come to you faithfully, volunteering to be a part of whatever it is that you would call us to do. I will look forward to what you're going to do. Father, even in this time as we have a chance to respond, Father, may we do what it is you're asking us to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Just stand with me. We're going to have a time for you to respond.
If you need to come join our church, if you need to, to talk with me about anything that is on your mind and your heart, I'd love to do that. You respond as Jesus would ask you to in the next few moments.